what the Lord's doing in your heart. Tell them about their grandchildren. Say something. All right, well, this morning, let's uh, look over in the book of Acts in Sunday school. I want to talk to you about upper room praying, upper room praying. You know, when Jesus left the earth, all he left was a prayer meeting. 120 men and women had gathered together in the upper room, and the early church didn't have a prayer meeting. They were a prayer meeting. Every Christian was a prayer meeting Christian in the early church. 120 of them huddled up there in the upper room. Look in Acts chapter 1, verse 13. Acts chapter 1, verse 13. Is, is church start, does church start at 10.30? Okay. All right, great. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 13. Look at this. And when they were come, come in, they went into an upper room where abode Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, and all the rest of them. Verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. You know, I've been in a lot of churches where they segregate the prayer times according to gender. You got the women over here, you got the men over here, but in the early church, they were all together. How many think it's okay for women to pray in church? Does anybody think that's okay for women to pray in church? They thought it was okay for them to pray in church. They were all together in the upper room. Now, every hospital has an emergency room, and every church will need an upper room. And what happened in the upper room is they waited uh, they wept, they worshiped, and they watched the fire of God fall at Pentecost. Can you believe that? That would have been something. So I want to talk to you about upper room praying. What kind of praying was going on? Well, first of all, upper room praying is obedient praying. It's obedient praying. Now look in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Kind of keep your Bible handy here. Uh, verse, um, well, look in verse 3. To whom he uh, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them. Now notice what Jesus did. He commanded them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, Saith, which saith he, ye have heard of me. The upper room praying was obedient praying. Jesus told them to stay put, not go anywhere, don't do anything, wait. And there they were for 10 days. They were in the upper room because Jesus had commanded them to be in the upper room. And I say that upper room praying is obedient praying. I like this definition of obedience. Obedience is doing exactly uh, or, uh, obedience is instantly doing all God tells me to do with the right heart attitude. Obedience is instantly, that's immediate, right on the spot. It's doing, it's active, it's not passive. Obedience is active, it's doing all, it's complete, it's doing everything that God told us to do, and that with a, a right heart attitude. Now, back in the day, uh, we were up at Lake Moomaw. Anybody ever been up to Lake Moomaw uh, in, uh, above Covington? And we were trout fishing. And so we're downrigging, which means you put a, 
you put this lead ball on and you put it down to a predetermined depth and you hook the lure on behind it and you drag it around and the, theoretically the trout hit it. Well, um, we were up there with my middle son and we were downrigging, putting around, just trolling around, pulling these uh, lures through the water when all of a sudden uh, one of the rods went off. In other words, we got a hit, the rod goes down, bounces back up, hooks the fish. So here we are, we've, we, we're hooked up. So I told my son, he was probably eight or nine, maybe ten, I said, reel up the cannonball because you've got a wire going down to the cannonball and if, and if the line gets around that wire, it's all over. I said, reel up the cannonball. So here I am uh, trying to get this fish in. Now the fish started swimming toward the boat and it was like a torpedo. I couldn't even... I couldn't reel fast enough to keep the slack out of the line. He's running right into the boat. And, 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 and that fish ran into the boat. Ran into the boat. And then he went down and went around the uh, wire to the cannonball and cut the line, of course. Well, my son was disobedient. He didn't reel up the cannonball. He was so excited and so distracted, he forgot to reel up the cannonball. Consequently, uh, the fish breaks off. And here we are, Stam standing there with a limp rod and, and, uh, and giving my son a lecture on the benefits of obedience. When all of a sudden, we look, I look around, and there the fish is. He had knocked himself out, and there he was floating on the top of the water. This trout, he's floating on the top of the water. So we sped right over and netted it. Still had the spoon in his mouth, and then he got, he got revived and started flopping around. <laughs> but, but you know, my son didn't do what I told him to do. He didn't do it when I told him to do it. He didn't do all I told him. He didn't do anything I told him to do. He was distracted. He was caught up. I mean, it was pretty exciting seeing what was going on here. But, uh, you know, obedience is doing exactly what we're told to do and doing all we're told to do and doing it with the right heart attitude. Now, obedience is not always convenient, but it's always profitable. It's always profitable. We were in a church in uh, Maine years ago. And um, they were having prayer meetings for revival, okay? So they're in this prayer meeting, and um, all of a sudden, one of the deacons uh, said, stop praying. I mean, stop praying. And, and what happened was, there was a farmer whose property adjoined the church property. And the farmer would drive his tractors and farm implements over the gravel in the church parking lot and get the gravel all out of shape. So you know what the church had done? They went out and built a fence to keep the farmer from trespassing on church property and disrupting the gravels. So the deacon said to him, he said, quit praying. He said, here we are praying for revival he said, we're more concerned about the shape of the gravel in the parking lot uh, than our neighbor's soul who's on his way to hell. He said, I think we ought to repent and go tear the fence down. <laughs> you know what they did? They quit praying. How many of you know there's a time to pray and then there's a time to obey? How many, how many of you know that? There's a time to quit praying and start shaking a leg and doing what you ought to be doing. So some of them went over to the farmer <laughs> and apologized for being a bunch of church snobs, parking lot snobs. And the rest of them tore the fence down. Now, that was the thing that preceded uh, the outpouring of God's Spirit that was uh, so intense for the next 
13, 14, 15 days. It was absolutely incredible. But upper room praying is obedient praying. It's obedient praying. I have a friend. His father was a hypocrite and one way at church and, and a terrible way at home. And uh, anyway, he, he never got over it. He never got over it. And he was never... He never chose to forgive his father for all of the abuse and all the things that went on. But I want to tell you something. He, he told me, he said, Harold, I don't go to prayer meeting because he said, I know I'm not on praying ground because of bitterness in his heart. Well, that's a sorry way to live, and that's a really a sorry way to die. And, and I want to tell you, uh, 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 upper room praying is obedient praying. In other words, it's doing what we know we need to do. It's doing it now, it's doing everything, and it's doing it with a right heart attitude. So these people here, uh, they, they, they were obeying the voice of God. Now, all effective prayer is predicated upon the obedience of the prayer, the prayer. And obedience is not the very best way to show that you believe. It's the only way you can show you believe. There's no other way to show you believe other than trusting and obeying. So, you know, It'd be a good thing this morning if we tell God we're willing to do uh, everything he tells us to do. And if we're not willing, we're willing to be made willing. Sometimes you've got to pray like that, that, uh, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing to do anything you want me to do. And I want to tell you that uh, upper room praying is obedient praying. They hung out for 10 days because Jesus told them to do it. Number two, upper room praying is unified praying. It's unified praying. Now look in verse 14. They were all in one accord, in one place, unified praying. They were together. They're on the same sheet of music, man. They had one heart and one soul. Jonathan Edwards, he wrote a, you know, some of those Puritans, the title of their books and sermons were bigger than the entire messages we preach today. I mean, they, they, their paragraphs were on for about 14 miles. And this guy had a, 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 the title of his book. Let me give you part of the title of his book. It was on uh, humility. He said, a humble attempt to promote agreement and visible union in extraordinary prayer. That's only a portion of the title. Uh, this is a humble attempt to promote uh, agreement and visible union in extraordinary prayer. Now, extraordinary prayer, unified praying, is unanimous praying. Unanimous. They were together. Uh, the Bible says that they were in one accord. That means knit by a bond stronger than death. Now, think about it. This 120, they had all been one in their failure because they had all forsaken the Lord. It wasn't just Peter that was uh, uh, warming at the enemy's fire. Uh, they were one in failure. Number two, they were one in fellowship. Good night. Ten days. Ten days in the upper room. One in fellowship, one in failure, and one in faith. Now, look, look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Look, look at this one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Look in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. You find this repeated. And the multitude of them that believed, Acts 4, 32, were of one heart and one soul. I mean, they were together, verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. So there's power in unity. Remember in the Old Testament where at Babel, uh, they had um, 
decided to build this tower that would reach up unto heaven. And God looked in on this situation, and he said that uh, uh, nothing will be impossible unto them because of their tremendous unity and the power that's in unity. So the Lord had to come down and, and uh, confuse the languages and send them all over the place, speaking in different uh, languages, because the Lord knew that unity uh, is powerful. How many understand that um, in the secular world, unity is powerful? Successful ball teams, they're unified. Uh, countries, uh, whatever direction they decide to go in, uh, when they're together, there's power in it. You know, Hitler, when he took over Germany with the Nazis, he did it with the consent of the majority of the people. And in our country, we can see which way we're leaning <laughs> because there's power, power, power in unity. And if that's true in the secular world, then certainly it's true uh, in the spiritual world. And, 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 and upper room praying is not when people agree on every little thing. How many know that not everything not, 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 not one thing is everything in, in the kingdom of God. And how many know that, that we'll never agree on every little point of truth? And if we're going to wait around until we get to agreeing on every little thing, and, and by the way, you're not even going to agree with yourself in 10 years on some of the stuff you think is true right now. And, and, and I'm just telling you, uh, on the major things, uh, we're not caving. On the big issues, brother, we're not dialoguing and we're not debating and we're not discussing. And, then, you know, there's some fixed truth, brother, that's not up for negotiation, right? But some of the other stuff, uh, don't get too fixed on everything. And I'm just telling you here that this bunch, coming from uh, uh, such a diverse background, Scythians, Greeks, barbarians, Jews, uh, Gentiles, all kinds of people piling in there, and, and how many know their cultures were different? I mean, they were just flat out different. And, uh, but, but you know, the, the, the New Testament, here's what they told them. Don't fornicate, don't eat meat offered to idols, and don't drink blood. That was the separation uh, issue <laughs> in the early church. They didn't, they didn't say, you got to get your hair cut this way, or you got to have all these Jewish customs in place. I mean, know that that's not what they did. They didn't impose the Jewish peculiarities on the Gentiles. Does everybody understand that? They did not do that. And they were in one accord. They were so diverse and coming from all things. But brother, they were right on Jesus. They were united around him. They were right united around the truth. And here they are. Here they are obeying the Lord. Here they are in one accord. In one place. And by the way, if you'd spend 10 days in a prayer meeting with people, uh, you'd either get on the same page or get out. And, and I'm telling you, these people got on the same page. So here they are. Uh, uh, upper room praying is unified praying. Upper room praying is obedient praying. Number three, uh, upper room praying is honest praying. Honest praying. Now, the kind of prayer I think that was going on here was unrehearsed. <laughs> there was no precedent. It was unscripted. Uh, they talked to God from the bottom of their hearts. This was not casual, conversational. It was not laid back, lackadaisical. Uh, it was not one of those, if it be your will kind of prayer meetings. It, it wasn't like that at all. Uh, these people were desperate, and they weren't asking God to help them. They were asking God to forgive them. 
<laughs> because they had all abandoned uh, the Lord in the crucial hour at the crucif crucifixion. Now, uh, my, my son and I were painting his, um, his house, and um, so we tuned in on the Internet to what they call the Worldwide Prayer Meeting. There's a church in New York. They have a Worldwide Prayer Meeting every Tuesday. 220 countries participate. Uh, the guy said they've had 39,000 answers to prayer recorded from their prayer meeting. 39,000 requests that they had prayed, that they had a track record that had gotten answered. That's pretty good. So we're listening to this online Worldwide prayer meeting. So my son said to me, he said, uh, he said, hey, Dad. He said, uh, what's the difference between them and us? I said, well, the difference between them and us is they believe they're going to get what they ask for. <laughs> they believe they're going to get what they ask for. And they're not bashful about asking big stuff from God. Now, think about the early church and the disciples, uh, their dreams uh, were all dashed because they were looking for a political solution. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Uh, they were looking for a political solution. And they thought Jesus was going to restore the kingdom to Israel, right? And they thought he was going to get rid <laughs> of the Romans who had imposed taxation and tyranny on the people. And they thought Jesus was the man. They thought that he was going to clean up Israel, that he was going to bring back the kingdom, man. That he's the man, you know, he's going he's to sort this thing out, man, it's going to be great. That's what they all thought. And guess what? Uh, Jesus didn't do one blooming thing about the political situation. He did nothing. In fact, he got killed. So their, their, their dreams had been dashed. Um, their world had fallen apart. What they thought was going to happen and what they hoped was going to happen did not happen. So they're in a, in a, in a depressed, uh, confused uh, state, to say the least. And they had all forsaken the Lord. Now, here they are in the upper room uh, crying out to God. Uh, I believe it was honest praying. They, they didn't pray like they meant it. They prayed because they meant it. I mean, there wasn't nothing left to lose, man. Uh, the, the, the Savior has been killed, and uh, nothing has changed uh, as far as the government was concerned. And, and, and what happened was they came clean in order to be clean. If you're going to get clean in the presence of God, you're going to have to come clean. And to come clean, you're going to have to get honest. You're just flat out going to have to get honest. Now, I believe these people uh, took the witness stand against their own hearts. I believe they agreed with God about their failures. I believe they told God the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. There wasn't anything to hold back. At this stage of the game, there's, not, there's no reason to try, to try to fake it because they'd done their best and, and it just didn't happen. But here they are being honest about the condition of their own hearts in the presence of God. Now, I don't know if I told you this story or not, but... Um, we're up in uh, Champaign, Illinois, and um, we came to this church where I've been several times. And uh, anyway, we rolled in on Saturday night, and the pastor said, "Harold, how about how about um, how about if you lead us in a real revival prayer meeting?" I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, 
Nobody needed it more than me. I said, glad to do it. So we got in there, and we had, we, by the way, the men were over here. The women were over here. And I just want to go on record right here. Um, in the early church, the men and the women were in the same room. You don't always have to be in the same room, but it's not a sin to be in the same room. Can I get a witness on that point right there? And, and, and they were all praying, the mother of Christ, the whole bunch. But we were segregated, because that's the way Baptists do it, right? So we were segregated, but you know what happened? We got involved in some honest praying. I'm talking about honest praying. So I told them, I said, boys, we're going we're gonna to pray different. I said, uh, first of all, we're just going to confess our sins to God. We're not going to thank God. We're not going to ask God. We're just going to tell God the truth. Round one, confession of sin. Round two, praise. No asking, just praising. Thank you. Round three, request. Confession, praise, request. CPR, spiritual CPR. So we uh, started praying, and uh, I started out and was getting honest with God. And well, I gave the rest of them a green light to be honest with God. So we coughed it up for about probably an hour and a half. I mean, just, just getting right down at it. We weren't asking God to help us to do better. We were telling God we'd already done bad. How many know there's no use to ask God to help you do better next time until you repent of the last time? So we were repenting of the last time. That's what we were doing. Well, it got pretty real. This thing went on for like two and a half hours. seemed like about five minutes. And every day we had these prayer meetings. I mean, like every day. And, uh, man, it was... Well, in fact, we had seven prayer meetings going on. We had people praying around the clock. I'm just... But, but the honest praying was in the middle of this. I'm just telling you. Well, on Tuesday night, uh, the pastor's wife uh, uh, got up to, and wanted to give a testimony. Now, his wife is like my wife. Uh, his wife never said anything, never does anything. I mean, you know, there's some people that's quiet and gentle and meek, and then you got other types. How many understand that? And, and she was uh, a quiet, blend in, wallflower. Nice, kind, gentle. Well, she says to her husband, she wanted to say something. She never says anything. Well, she got the microphone. And she said, looked at that crowd and she said, there's something wrong in our church. And she said, I'll tell you what it is. We don't have any love in our hearts. Whoa, what is this? And then she said, People come to our church and get saved and go to other churches. She said, I'll tell you why. We don't have any love in our hearts. Ooh. Then she said, uh, I was raised in fundamental Christianity, and she said, there's something wrong with fundamental Christianity. She said, I'll tell you what it is. We don't have any love in our hearts. Buddy, you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, man, alive. I knew that wasn't her. I didn't know whether it was the Lord or the enemy, but I knew it wasn't her talking. And come to find out, it was the voice of God speaking to that church, very uncharacteristic. She never, very uncharacteristic. Well, from that point on, uh, the revival was on, and uh, we had to extend the meeting three times. Uh, second week, people began to come in from the community. And by the way, how many understand when God shows up, uh, all God's children of all stripes show up, and sinners start showing up? Amen. 
So we had this one guy come in and got in the prayer meeting. I don't know how he got in the prayer meeting before the service. He, um, he was one of those buckshot kind of guys. Got those little uh, metal, silver, platinum, whatever, uh, piercings. You ever see people that's got those things in their tongue? I, 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 you ever, I, I mean, this guy had these, these he had all his get up on. <laughs> so he, get in this, he got in this prayer meeting. And uh, uh, he heard the Christians confessing sins. I'm sure he never heard that before. Well, come his turn, boy, he unloaded, <laughs> and he got saved. And uh, then the next week, or like the next night, his girlfriend showed up. Now, she, she, you ever seen somebody that has so many tattoos that you can't see any original skin? You couldn't see no original skin, man. I'm, she was like a human tattoo from the bottom. <laughs> well, she got in there, and she got up in front of that car- congregation, and here's what she said. She says, uh, I'm happier now than I've ever been in my entire life. And we had all kinds of people coming in, all kinds of sorts of people coming in. But you know, you know none of that would have transpired had they not been honest praying. It, had, had we not taken the witness stand against our own hearts and come clean with God, then none of that would have happened. Now, Jim Elliott said this, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. Whatever you do, be all in it. And whatever you believe to be the will of God, live it to the hilt. Now, men and women, when it comes to prayer, be all there. Be all in it. Be honest. Now, you know, we're not trying to impress anybody here. And, and, and go for broke. It's honest to pray. The upper room prayer, number four, not only was it honest, not only was it... Um, obedient, and not only was it unified, but number four, it was ambitious. Ambitious praying. I think I spoke on that here one time. The Bible says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. The word continued uh, continued means obstinate, persistence, steadfast. The word supplication means earnest, affectionate, continued request. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They didn't give up. They didn't resign themselves to fate. You understand fate, F-A-T-E, that well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and there's nothing we can do that's going to make any difference anyhow. And uh, no, no, they persisted in believing prayer. They were ambitious, and ambitious praying looks beyond what is to what can be. Uh, ambitious praying is not satisfied with yesterday's miracle. Uh, ambitious praying is not satisfied to hear or read about history, but would like to make some history. And ob- ambitious praying anticipates specific answers. It's not fear-based, not even fact-based. It's faith-based, and it reaches out for everything that God has made available. Now, This was pretty bold praying when they said, Lord, grant unto your servants that with all boldness we may speak. Well, they were all hiding out. They'd all forsaken. I mean, what was it, it, two women at the foot of the cross and all the guys had headed out to who knows where to blend in, hide out. And and so this is pretty pretty ambitious that God, we, we know we've forsaken you in the past. However, 
uh, grant unto your servants all wisdom. And, and, and you know, when you've when you got God-sized needs, what you need is some God-sized answers. So I have a friend, he's a pastor, and he has heart trouble, and long story short, he had a, had a heart attack in the pulpit, and he like quit breathing, he died. So they resuscitated him, called the paramedics, they loaded him up, got him going, and took him off to Roanoke Memorial Hospital. And um, <clears throat> the uh, doctors told his wife that uh, uh, his brain had been deprived of oxygen, he had a 10% chance of survival, and if he did survive, he probably would never be normal again because of the oxygen deprivation. Oh, this is not too encouraging. 10% chance of survival, virtually no chance of uh, recovering. So, my wife, we're friends, they're friends of ours. So, Debbie and I went over, and his wife's name is Sherry. I said, Sherry, hey, 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 how about if we pray the prayer of faith? She said, yeah, that would be great. And the church was praying the prayer of faith for their pastor, who they saw pass away in the service, but they resuscitated him. So she said, that'd be great. So we prayed the prayer of faith. The church is praying the prayer of faith. Now, uh, she spent the night in the hospital, in the waiting room, because she couldn't go to ICU uh, for like 30-some days. And she was, uh, he was in a coma for 21 days. 21 days. And, and after 21 days, he woke up, and he was normal. So I'm, we went in to see him, and because uh, he's like had like three near-death experiences. I said, man, you're like the cat with nine lives. And he says, um, yeah, but I'm using them up pretty quick. So I says, uh, I call him Lazarus. I said, <laughs> that little Lazarus. And, 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 and he was just as lucid as he ever was. Uh, he's got back in the pulpit several weeks later. He's been in the pulpit ever since. How many know nothing's impossible with God? I know it doesn't happen that way every time, but aren't we glad for the times that it does happen that way? Amen? And just because it doesn't happen that way every time doesn't mean we shouldn't believe big. And, and, I, and, I, and look, I, I know not everybody gets a miracle. I, I, I know that, okay? But that shouldn't keep us from asking for some sometimes. That's what I think. Ambitious praying. So here they are praying these big, big uh, prayers full of ambition and aspiration. My friend Randy Hobbs down in Burlington, New Hope Baptist, where they had the Burlington Revival. Uh, they prayed every Monday night for 15 years uh, as a church for revival. 15 years. And guess what? God finally showed up, and they were having like up to 6,000 people come every night for 12 weeks Wow, a ambitious, ambitious praying. So desperation is good if it leads you to aspiration. Aspiration leads to revelation. Revelation leads to appropriation. And appropriation leads to manifestation. Ambitious praying. But let me just give you this one real quick. Uh, upper room praying is also expectant praying. Expectant praying. Now, you know, a lot of times prayer is so vague, so generalized, uh, you wouldn't even know whether God answered it or not because it's so, so general, it's so vague, it's so nebulous. Uh, so I, I think we need to quit our generalized praying 
and our futurized praying, our depersonalized praying, and start praying for something to happen like in the here and now. You know, you know we, we've heard so much about the uh, historical Christ, and thank God for the record of the historical Christ. We've used to hear a lot about the futuristic Christ when Christ is coming again and is going to set up his throne. And, and uh, I, I predict we're going to hear more about that as the times get harder. Nobody wants to hear about heaven when you got heaven on earth. But when you got hell on earth, then heaven, on, heaven uh, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So I, I predict we're going to hear much more preaching about the blessed hope when Christ returns and sets up the throne, then it's going to be fantastic. Uh, but we've heard a lot about the future Christ, uh, the, the, the historical Christ, uh, but what we need is um, uh, a present tense Christ. Not just the Christ that was, thank God for that, not just the Christ that will be, hallelujah for that, but wait a minute, well, what about right, like, right now? We listened to a church service uh, coming up here, on the internet. They meet at 8.30. Can you imagine anybody would get up and go to church at 8.30 if they didn't have to? I mean, can you imagine? But, but buddy, I'm telling you, these people were full of anticipation, full of excitement. Man, the singing was like through the roof, and, uh, and the preacher, he always gets wound up. He's 72 years old, but he preaches like independent Baptists used to preach before they started drinking. How many can remember what that was like? Uh, when, 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 <laughs> can, you, can you remember what that was like when they're all stoked up, man, and they're all fired up? You know, and this guy, he gets fired up all the time. <laughs> he just, uh, he goes off, he can't help it. But, but what, what I'm saying is that uh, they were celebrating Christ in the middle of them. Not just celebrating what was, and, 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 and thank God for that, or what's going to be, but like right now. And by the way, that church, uh, they have a Monday night prayer meeting where they have up to 2,000 people coming out every week for an upper room prayer meeting. You know what the pastor says to him? He says, um, this is the most important meeting of our church on Monday night. So they pile in, and, and, and you know what they do in the prayer? They don't talk about prayer. They pray, and it's never the same way. I mean, there's all kinds of variations and different, different angles and topics, and, and, but it's, there's always this prayer going on. It's the upper room prayer meeting. It's expectant, expectant prayer meeting. Now, how many know that if your prayer doesn't move you, it's not going to move God? If your prayer doesn't move you, it sure ain't going to move God. So the, the, there's got to be this effect on the prayer because antiseptic prayer, clinical prayer, clean prayer, cold prayer, um, it doesn't move God. So God only responds to heartfelt praying. Now, you look in the book of Acts, you'll find 38 references to prayer. Okay? Read the Psalms, read the Bible. You'll find that it gives this phrase, they cried out to God. You ever seen that in the Bible? They cried out, they called out. In other words, they were engaged. I mean, they were, they were uh, their heart was in the thing. And, and the point being that God's got to do something for us before God can do something through us. 
My friend up in uh, Champaign where we saw that move of God, he said, don't let revival happen, or happen around you without happening in you. In other words, there's got to be something going on like right here. And expectant praying is faith-based praying. Faith-based praying. It's expectant praying. It's um, anticipating prayer. And it's uh, asking big stuff from God. Now, what happened in the upper room there needs to happen here and needs to happen now. Now, what was the upper room prayer meeting like? Well, expectant praying, ambitious praying, honest praying, unified praying, obedient praying. Tozer said, whatever God has done before in the past, he can do again. Whatever God has done for anybody, he can do for, for you. And, and whatever God has done anywhere, he can do here. So this type of prayer that was going on in the upper room, I believe, is the kind of prayer that needs to be going on here. Every church needs an upper room uh, prayer meeting. And I think if you'll read through the book of Acts and look up those multiple references to prayer, you'll be astounded uh, how that uh, the apostles were praying. Uh, they're praying for the selection of deacons. They're praying about this. They're praying about that. And, and, and then they got the men and the women together there in the upper room, calling out, crying out, persistent, continually, supplicating before God. And God did something absolutely astounding and incredible. It says in Acts 1.14, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And that was the beginning of New Testament Christianity. Amazing. So why don't we have a little upper room prayer meeting right here. Let's, um, let's just go to God and let's pray for two minutes. Just You just, right there at your seat, just call out, cry out. Just beseech the Lord, engage in a little of this upper room kind of praying. And dear brother, if you want to sing a song or however you want to close, after two minutes, okay? We're good. Let's just talk to the Lord for a few moments.
Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, just thank you for the messenger. Thank you for the message, God. And I just pray that that we would have hearts like they had in the, in the upper room and, and, and pray like they did, Lord. I just uh, pray that we get honest with ourselves, real with ourselves. We'd be ambitious, Lord, just uh, as we go into the next uh, the worship service. I pray that you just feel Harold uh, up. Lord, I pray that we would respond to your Holy Spirit leading. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. What does he say? We'll take a pause for the cause, and we'll see you in 10 minutes.
True. 